0: So let's go out of this world with our first author. Bernie speaking. How you doing, Bernie? This is Alice. Hey, Alice. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm you know reading your background. You're you're a retired prosecutor.
1: I uh, I worked for 29 years as a prosecutor.
0: Where were you a prosecutor?
1: The Los Angeles City Attorney's Office.
0: That must have been some ride. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so you went from being, you know, a, a prosecutor in LA, and then you take a turn into the supernatural with your book, right? Analysis of personal supernatural experiences: a collection of fascinating stories awaiting your verdict—fact, fiction, fabrication, <laughs> or fantasy—that is some title. Yes, is that a title? That is, and you're you're dropping out. Are you still there? Oh. Are you on a speakerphone? Yes. Okay, get, can you get off the speakerphone? Get off the speakerphone. Oh, yeah. I'm
1: off the speakerphone.
0: Alrighty. Oh, so much better. So much better. Ah, great. Now, I, I'm assuming that you've had some supernatural experiences, and that's yes. Why. Tell me.
1: Right. Well, I had a couple of experiences that I write about in the book, and that's actually part of the inspiration for the book. One of the first stories that comes that I tell about in the book was when I was a young child. uh, And I wake up in the middle of the night to hear my mother screaming and crying. She's in in her bedroom with, with Dad, and I you know, I'm only about eight or nine years old and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And so this is the shortened version of it. But I go in there and she's weeping and crying and I'm like, mom, what's, what's happening? And she's like, go back to bed, go back to bed, it's okay. And I'm like, well, mom, what, what's going on? Why, why? She says, well, I just had a dream that your grandfather got stabbed in the heart and I've had dreams before throughout my lifetime and so I'm, I'm, I'm really worried. And she said, but go back to bed, everything, you know, just go. go. So, anyway, yeah, yeah, pardon my uh, <laughs> characterization, <laughs> my dramatizations. But anyway, uh, I go back to bed, and the next morning we get a phone call, and my grandfather died of a heart attack.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So, yeah, it was, it was a collection of stories like that. Uh, I went around actually interviewing people. After I retired, I decided to like start interviewing people to see if other people had had similar experiences. Was it just me? Am I just a weirdo? Or have other people had similar experiences? And as I started to interview more and more people, it became more and more intriguing. Wherever I went, whether it was a social gathering, a lawyer's meeting, a family meeting, charity meeting, event. Whenever I was in a group of people, I would ask, has anyone here ever had a supernatural experience? And you, as you would imagine, most people look at you like you're a weirdo. <laughs> and they're like, okay, we got one here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really got one. Sometimes you at the table, nobody people there's no one there. And they just say, oh, no, never have nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. And then, but what you would give was sometimes you get people who would say, okay, uh, I'll call you later. Or you would sometimes get people who would say, uh, yeah, I have one. I, I have an experience and I'll be glad to speak with you about it. Hmm. So after doing this over and over, I got a basically, basically a, a collection Of stories. There were times when I would go through, uh, shall we say, a drought and not get any stories. And other times I'd get a whole bunch of stories. And basically, what I'd do is I'd analyze the stories from a prosecutor's perspective. A lot of people don't know what prosecutors do, but that's basically what a prosecutor does. I was a supervising attorney for 25 years at the city attorney's office, supervising a team of lawyers. And what prosecutors do is they review uh the evidence they interview witnesses determine whether they believe they're telling the truth or not are they try- are they really telling the truth and then they uh look at all the documentary evidence the physical evidence and determine whether uh criminal charges should be filed and whether there's a reasonable probability that prosecution of the case will result in a conviction am i sounding very legalistic yes, now yes
0: very lawyerly very lawyerly <laughs> very lawyer like yes <laughs>
1: Uh, and so, but, after twenty nine years, you become pretty good at at uh, dis- determining whether people are telling you the truth and whether a case will result in a conviction. So, basically, the book applies that analysis to every story and and my own story.
0: But how do you apply um, that to the supernatural?
1: well, what what I do is I apply it to the story. So first, I listen I interview the person listen to their their story and in the book I analyze whether I believe or uh, whether a jury would believe that they're telling the truth okay, okay. step okay. number one okay and then secondarily if a jury or I believe and or I believe that they are telling the truth about what actually happened would it constitute a supernatural event should it constitute? supernatural event and that becomes an interesting analysis because you know I heard all kinds of stories and some of them were so far-fetched and so I require a separate intervening act that corroborates that it's supernatural like take for instance the story I told you about the dream okay if my grandfather had died a week later or two weeks later a month later I would say well the dream it was just a coincidence, or it was not necessarily predictive. But when she had the dream that night, and the next morning, the very next morning, we receive a call that he died. Then you say, "Okay, that's a, almost like a separate event that corroborates, corroborates right. uh, the dream." So. a lot of instances like that some of this stuff uh some of the stories i didn't put in the book because they were so far-fetched that they weren't worthy of in my opinion of going in becoming part of the book but uh to me the ramifications are significant absolutely profound because you know the questions are you know is there mental telepathy like uh, you know, you have situations where, I, and I'm sure this has happened to you, where you call someone and they say, oh, I was just thinking about you. I was just getting ready to call you. Or somebody calls you and they, and you say, oh, I was just thinking about you. I was just getting ready to call you. Right. Uh, is mental telepathy, is, is intuition, is that real? Uh, uh, healing, is there any evidence that healing is real? uh we talked about a dream yeah
0: isn't there evidence of both that they are you know having a sensitivity toward the thoughts you know mental telepathy isn't Mm -hmm. there a school of thought that that is real
1: yeah but there's also and this is the interesting thing there's also a whole lot of people out there like i said and and specifically uh, greatly the scientific community who likes just kind of think writes it all off. Yeah. You know? Well,
0: you know what? I've and, always wondered about that. Like in order to experience such things, don't you have to be open to it? There has to be a part uh, of you that believes well, that it's possible. Well,
1: that's the thing. Some of the people that I interview do not believe in the supernatural, they do not believe in God. And no, they are not open to it. The events, usually, it's if you have an individual, they have maybe one or two events in a lifetime. And most, most of them don't believe in, you know, they, uh, they weren't necessarily, uh, well, and I'll say this, virtually none of them were psychics and none of them were spiritualists or mediums these are regular people like you and me like your your neighbors uh the person down the street your cousins your relatives who say oh guess what i actually saw a deceased relative last night they saying well i saw my son or my or whoever my mother who had died years ago and she came to me last night now these are people who are not psychics like i said or spiritualists or any of that kind of thing or who are not tuned in who just had an experience uh that uh, i believe would constitute a supernatural experience that scientists cannot explain and the true purpose of the book is to get scientists to start evaluating these types of situations Uh, i mean those are the people we really need to evaluate these situations uh, because uh, yeah, I, I, I believe anything is
0: possible because I, you know the federal government has finally <laughs> accepted that aliens might be real, right? So, I mean,
1: yeah, I was speaking with a scientist the other day who doesn't believe in anything. Uh, she works on uh, top secret stuff for the government for one of those satellite companies, Boeing or one of them, anyway. She was. She's insinuated that the government is saying that because they don't want you to know that they have top-secret stuff, you know, mm-hmm. which was kind of an interesting thought to me because right. I said to her exactly what you said, that the government just legitimized this. Right. And, and she said, well, you know, they do that because Well, she kind of suggested that. She didn't say it outright, but that there may be um, instruments or capabilities that they have available to them that they don't want to expose to the general public. Hmm. And so they say, oh, it's this and that. But, it, you know, it's real interesting stuff.
0: So, what, what, give me a story that really blew you away.
1: Oh, well. There are so many stories. Uh, what do you want?
0: Pick one. I mean, well, we, yeah, I want people to get a, get a flavor for your book. What's in well,
1: there? Well, uh, I, I will tell you this one. There was a, a, a friend of ours, a, a guy I actually go to church with, and he was one of the ones that was reluctant to tell a story. And he was one of the ones who initially didn't say anything when I asked, has anybody had a supernatural experience? He said he didn't say a word and he didn't come forward. And then later he called me and said, hey, I have a situation and I'd like to share it with you. And so basically what he said was years ago, years ago, he was... Uh, he was at a military base. He had been to the military base. He was assigned or stationed at a military base. And the base where he was at, uh, you may, it's near an area called Mount Wilson at the time. And basically what, and I'll I'll give you a shorter version because I could give you all the details, but any of it, he had gone out that night. He had not been drinking and he had, uh it was, he was coming home and it was like about 3 a.m. in the morning, 2 a.m. in the morning. He had been partying and everything, but he said he had no alcohol. And as he was coming back home, he, the the base was on an area where it's a, a winding road. I, I've actually been there. And there, there's no railing on the side and it's like a thousand foot drop if you go over the, over the side. Boom. Just, so anyway, he said he was coming back home late at night, and he was driving, and he said he he started to fall asleep. And he said as he apparently had fallen asleep, and he heard his mother shout his name, Howard, Howard. And he w- opened up his eyes real quick, and he saw that his car had Drifting into the desert, into the dirt, and was about to go over a cliff.
0: Jeez! And I, I take it his, his mother, mother...
1: Wasn't, was not in the car, right?
0: His mother is his mother alive or dead?
1: His mother, however, was alive.
0: Um. Oh, that's wow.
1: So, uh, uh, you know, so his stories like that. There's a whole compilation of stories like that. Uh, but as you see, it becomes an issue of, well, okay, how is that possible?
0: Yeah, you know, well.
1: Oh, well his mother wasn't in the car. And she, you know. That is, and it was right when he was about to go over a cliff.
0: So she sensed the danger and was able to warn him because of that connection, that mother-son connection.
2: Yeah, she sensed
0: I, I, danger. Maybe. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is yes. so interesting! So interesting. Oh, she, how do how do people know you wrote this book?
1: I haven't done a lot of talking yet. Uh, part of the future, I would anticipate uh, creating a podcast and having people on and interviewing them.
0: That's the a great idea. People calling in with their supernatural experiences yes. or right. their yeah right yeah I I there's countless experiences just in my own family, you you know, my mother seeing her mother after she died sitting in a rocking Uh. chair, but you just wonder, you know, you know, me, I, I swear whenever I want to see my brother-in-law or talk to him, he's there, like he's right here Uh. right now with me. But how much wow. our brains are very complicated. We don't use what? What do we use? An eighth of our brain power or something? Something that's ridiculous? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I think that's what most people do is say, well, how much of it is coincidence? Or am I just convincing myself that this is what's going on? I, I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But I, exactly. I feel that people who say they don't have a story really do.
1: It's happened quite a few times.
0: (laughs) I really enjoyed talking to you. How many experiences did you have personally?
1: Uh, Actually, I've had about three or four experiences. Some of them are pretty spooky. Yeah. Uh, The people who have read my book, they say they don't read it. They don't like to read it at night before they go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) and there are other people who said they started reading it and they couldn't put it down but uh yeah some of the uh, you see that's the thing about the book is it's pretty much across the board It it, it suggests all kinds of stuff from spiritual stuff to mental telepathy to uh, possible voodoo or
0: do you think we can cast evil spells on people do you think that's well, possible? Well, there is
1: one story that I have in there that supports that conclusion and actually is one of my own personal experiences. Uh, it, it, it suggests that, uh, that this young lady had done something. I mean, when I go through the details of it, it, it suggests that she had cast a spell or something. And at some point, she pretty much admitted it in a way that she had done something uh, I met her and uh, we started dating and we had a romantic relationship uh, but at some point there, things start to happen uh, I started feeling shall we say drained of energy uh, I started feeling uh, listless and just I just totally, just like I, it's hard to explain, but at any event, uh, then and get this, okay, it gets even spookier. So we we had moved together, we were living in this apartment complex, and I'm walking down the hallway, and I say hello to a guy, uh, and he says, Hi, hi, and I'd never met him before. He said, Hi, how are you doing? And the interesting thing is, I, all of these. For about a couple of weeks, I had had this like like tension and energy loss, and just it was just like a fog hanging over my brain, and it was every day. And this guy said, "Hey, all right, how you doing?" And he and he says, "Fine." And he says, "I've been meaning to talk to you." And in a split second, it was like a wave went through me, and all of the tension, all of the stress went away. It was just like drained out. And I said, wow. I said, there's a guy, something weird just happened. And he says, well, yeah, I, I, I know. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're under like a spiritual attack. You're being attacked now. And it's somebody close to you that's doing this to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. I said, "I said, well, it just seemed like all this stress just left me. And he said, yeah. He said, you, he said i'm gonna pray for you and and he said but you're gonna have to get out you're gonna have to leave that situation but anyway and then what got even weirder was i so i was thinking it might have been her and then i realized that one day i had come home and she was she had a net and she was burning my hair in it what i had a big i had a big afro then and I said to her, well, what are you doing? And she said, well, you know, it's just them we do. We just burn, you know, it's nothing. I just, I like to do that, burn the hair. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so weird. So, But the bottom line was this guy said, yeah, you got to get out of the situation. And uh, at some point, uh, well, so I decided I was leaving. So the, I, I'm not giving you all the details. But anyway, I, I did get out of there and it all went away. All the stress it went away and at some point she said she insinuated that she had like cast a spell or something to try to keep you know, keep me with her. That's Wow.
0: You must be quite weird. You must be quite the catch, sir
1: maybe 30 years ago (laughs) no actually it would have been 40 years 45 years oh who's
0: counting all right listen well i i really think your podcast idea i think you might i think maybe you should go with that
1: okay all right yeah all right maybe maybe we'll
0: maybe we'll talk again sounds great all right thank you so much bye-bye bye Into the Sea is the name of our next book by D.A. Richardson and I'll tell you it's jam-packed with adventure, love, betrayal, death and all kinds of shenanigans. Hi D.A. Richardson from Alberta, Canada. Hello Alice from the U.S. of A. (laughs) How you doing man? What do you do up there?
3: Um, Besides write books, my husband and I own a company that rents office moving equipment. So if your office gonna move and you needed like plastic bins and chair bins and file carts for moving computers and all kinds of stuff. That's what we did.
0: When did you start writing? Um,
3: I have been I started when I was around 16 poetry and song lyrics. And that, that's because you know, I would stick my hide in the closet when my parents fought.
0: <laughs> when they fought?
3: <laughs> oh, all the time. Alice. It was like scary. Oh, but it's okay. I survived. <laughs> I began actually I was gonna um, write an article my first book about firefighters and people not understanding what they actually did for a living.
0: Okay,
3: And then 9-11 happened, so that changed. So I did, um, I've written magazine and freelance feature articles. Uh, I've been published in several Canadian magazines and newspapers, including both the Calgary and Toronto Suns. Oh. So that's been interesting.
0: So what inspired Into the Sea?
3: I've always been a really big Agatha Christie fan. And I, I have a condo in Mexico, so I spent a lot of time down there. I've always also been interested in the funeral industry, because I always thought that funeral directors were morbid people until I actually, when I was doing book research, um I worked for a funeral home in Calgary, and that was quite fun. But I just I always thought I was going to be a fantastic romance novelist, and then I realized that my forte was not romance, it was mystery. So I combined all of the stuff from Mexico with stuff from funeral homes and put it into a book. Um, I was writing articles on the dolphins at Dolphin Adventures in Puerto Vallarta, and then I started just getting this mystery thing happening and carried on from there.
0: So you started writing, and then these ideas would just come to you as you were writing?
3: Yeah, they just started flowing, and then I just kept going and going.
0: See, that amazes me. That amazes me, uh, uh, how things come to authors.
3: It doesn't always happen that way.
0: I think that's the hardest part. Yeah.
3: Well, there have been days when I've sat in front of my computer and like nothing, complete huge brain freeze. And I've been dealing with some health issues too. So some days are better than others.
0: So what happened? So this one just came to you. This one poured forth.
3: Yes, actually. The story just kept getting more interesting and I started developing new characters. So Alex is 50 years old. She runs a breeding operation with horses. Her next door neighbor has a racehorse. Operation. She meets Sam Bennett through her brother while her brother is actually building a pool house on the next door neighbor's property. They end up going to a cabin on Vancouver Island to go fishing, discover that they're crazy nuts in love with each other. Sam is supposed to be getting married, but decides he doesn't want to, so he calls off the wedding, at which point in time his very larger than life, very wealthy father in law threatens to kill Alex if he doesn't marry. The daughter. So, as far as Alex knows, she sees in the paper that the guys died. So she goes to the resort in Mexico, discovers that he's still alive, and the reason that he faked his death was because Alex had had Sam's child, but Sam didn't know was his child, and the father-in-law threatened to kill the kid too. So they reunite. They discover all this about each other again. Uh, In the meantime, Angelina, who's Sam's assistant at the hotel, is crazy about Sam, and. Um, When she discovers that Alex is back and Sam and Alex are hooking up, Angelina actually gets rid of Alex, but you don't find that out till the end of the book. So everybody thinks Alex is dead. They go back for the funeral. And when Angelina is listening one night, she hears the husband who originally planned to kill Alex because he needed money from all of his gambling debts and figured the only way he could get it was if he got rid of her to get her fortune. And then When the book moves from the funeral back to Mexico, um, Sam decides he's going to marry Angelina. So they're coming back to plan the wedding. In the meantime, they discover that Alex is still alive. So Sam's mother plans this big wedding for Angelina and tells her that they're going to invite friends and family from Mexico. And when she walks down the island, sees the people sitting like it's none of her family. It's all people that she's gone through in order to try and kill Alex. And she ends up going to jail. Alex and the daughter, who's now older, go back to Mexico. And the dolphin thing comes in when Angelina takes Alex out sailing to get rid of her. There's a dolphin that follows the boat and it jumping up and down and stuff. So it appears that it's been a trained dolphin that's obviously gotten out from someplace. And the fact, the dolphin has been attacked by a shark at one point in time, and there's a piece bitten out of his dorsal fin. And as the book continues, the dolphin gets saved. It goes back to um, the rehab center. Um, Alex's daughter goes sailing. There's a big storm. The boat capsizes. Um, She actually gets saved by a dolphin from a shark attack. And it's the same dolphin that was swimming by the boat that her mother was in. Um, Anyways, at the very end of the book, when they go back to the dolphin place, um, the dolphin actually recognizes Alex. So, And they do. I spent a lot of time doing research with um, the people in Puerto Vallarta and their dolphins are incredibly intelligent animals. Like I believe that my Best work comes from in-depth research and I worked at McGinnison Holloway Funeral Home in Calgary to do book research to find out about the whole process and what happens because it's like a funeral director is usually the first person that a family sees. I spent a lot of time working with the trainers at the Dolphin Place to do research because I really believe that if it's in the book, it should be true. I don't want somebody to read it and go, well, this is garbage. It doesn't work this way. So I do my research and I do a lot of interviews. There's a part in the book that there's a big yacht and the captain and crew and everything else. So I actually did spend a lot of uh, time with the captain of a boat called the invader. And I put all of that information into the book and I sent him an email to let him know that it had been published and he read it and sent me back an email that said like, you're, it's incredible because all of the stuff you mentioned about the boat is actual factual, the way it should be. And told me I was a great writer. So that made me feel good. So I get really positive comments about it. My problem alice is the fact that i i write i put my headphones on i get lost in my own little world but i am not good at marketing myself
0: yeah nobody is not a lot of people aren't
3: i'm actually in the process um our business partner from our location in edmonton is actually going to set up a website for me and stuff
0: oh well okay so there you go
3: so i'm working on stuff i would actually like to be on the New York Times top 10 best selling list. That's my goal.
0: You don't know unless you try. You gotta have a little bit of faith. And that's what our next several stories are about. Brian Edward Johnson joins us from Independence, Missouri with a story that may comfort those who feel like life will never be the same after divorce from a cheating spouse. His title says it all, Behaving Wisely, One Man's Journey from Betrayal to Blessing.
4: The, the, the book is about... The, the end of my first marriage my wife had had an affair and for about two and a half ish months we continued to live together went through counseling tried to make it work eventually she left during that time i was journaling every day because i was really convinced that our marriage was going to work out so i wanted to, wanted to chronicle that the ups and downs and all the stuff we went through okay. well there was one point in time during this week where we had this special kind of event thing going on in my church we had a, a missionary that came into town and so I, I wanted to go to that, and, and he was talking about some awesome stuff. Um, eventually, one one night, um, he he asked for everybody in the church just to pray individually, and I I this thing voice kind of popped in my head. That sounds crazy, but just said tell the story. And I looked behind me to see if someone was talking to me, and there wasn't. Thought that was odd, but went home told my wife about it. She was like she she poo pooed it went to bed, woke up the next morning, one of those times where you're lying in bed, you're awake, but you're not getting up. Mm-hmm. And there was a there was a song that was in my head um, immediately when I woke up and it said, uh, the the chorus goes, um, here I am, Lord send me all my life, I make an offering, here I am, Lord send me, somehow my story is a part of your plan. And I thought, and, and when that line was in my head, I just sat up really fast in the bed and I thought, what the heck? So I got to tell this story. How do I do that? Do I just talk to people every, whenever I have the opportunity? And that was the first time writing a book popped my head. I thought, OK, so I've never even thought about that before. Um, during that time, I just have to give you this little bit of background. During that time, we had, we had a house that we were renting. Uh, we had a pipe burst. There was water damage. It was crazy. So we, the people that were there moved out. But what I found out was that's one of the places where she and he would go. So I thought. In the telling of this of this story and the writing of this book, one of the chapters could be Water Water Everywhere, or I could name the book Water Water Everywhere. Well, the next night comes for this event at church and and my wife decides she wants to go with me. I'm already ready, dressed to go. I'm waiting for her to finish. I'm I'm trying to pass the time. Sitting on the on the couch, I turn on TV just to see what's on. Wheel of Fortune is on. I I'd never watch Wheel of Fortune, ever. But I was just trying to pass the time. The, the, the puzzle that was on in this one time that i was watching will of fortune was happened to be water water everywhere
0: oh geez
4: <laughs> so so all those those three things happened within about a span of about 36 hours and i remember when i saw when i saw that it, it that puzzle t- turn and say water water everywhere i looked up and i just said i guess i'm writing a book that's that's how it came to be
0: but you were still with her. You still hadn't gone on your journey yet. You were kind of in the midst of your journey. Yes. So what happened, Brian?
4: Well, um, marriage did not work. She went to be with him. So it was me and and our three kids. um, And it was devastating.
0: How long were you married?
4: Uh, 11 years.
0: And what what made her want to step out? Do you think?
4: Well, she told me that it was because I didn't show her the love that I should. That was what she told me, which I mean, you know, I, I think with, with anything, with any kind of confrontation, this very sel- very seldom is there 100% fault on one side and zero fault on the other. So I would say that in my marriage too, right? I, I, I can look back at things that I could have done better. At the same time, though, I don't think that that was the way to 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 go about dealing with it is is going out on the marriage. I'm remarried now. Been remarried. Our, we will be celebrating our seven year anniversary in March. And I am not really any different than I was before. I show my wife a lot of affection, like I did my first wife. And this marriage is absolutely wonderful. And I think I can go into a lot of detail as to as to the differences there. But um, I, I just think my my first wife had a lot of issues that she needed to work through and hadn't worked through and, and hasn't admitted to it. And so here we are, but things are great for me now.
0: How old were your children when you were going through this?
4: They were eight, four and six. Very, very difficult. Cause my, my oldest was just didn't understand. I remember him saying to me one day crying, why don't you just uh, ask her to come back home? And like to him, it's just that simple. Uh, And I tried to explain to him that she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to come back. And my four-year-old, who is 19 now, she doesn't even remember us being married. And she would just cry and she would just tell me she was sad, but she couldn't explain why she was sad. So it was was really hard, really hard.
0: What made you think that, that the marriage could be saved?
4: Because we both, at least I thought, had the same spiritual, biblical foundation and that is that um you know with with god anything is possible um but but even though as we were going through counseling she never stopped seeing him she she lied multiple times and i caught her in these lies so so there was never any time on her part where she completely set him aside to focus 100% on our marriage
0: so she agrees to go into counseling, but refuses to stop seeing him, which makes it kind of hard. how How did those counseling sessions go? They,
4: <laughs> they were.
0: I, I I don't know how you do. They that. They were
4: rough, and I, I will say that the counseling sessions, like ninety percent of it, was focused on her because we would it would be rinse wash and repeat right we'd come back the next week and it was like well she 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 called him again or she saw him again and i found out and and so the counselor would just be focused so much on her saying you got to stop doing this i mean you know in a nutshell and so eventually the counselor was like okay if if you don't want to do what what you need to do then we're gonna just gonna stop until you are ready to to do what you need to do
0: did she fall in love with this man
4: oh without a doubt she was in love with him
0: did she marry him she did Okay. So it was, she fell in love with another man. That's so, that had to be so difficult for you.
4: Extremely. I've, I've never been through anything as painful as that in my life, uh, before nor since. Definitely wouldn't wish it on anybody. Uh, but yeah. Yeah.
0: How do you lay out your story in your book?
4: Well, so I start off the beginning. It just talks about how we met. Uh, We actually met in high school and, and I even lay out our, you know, how I proposed to her. She, she had planned a, a surprise birthday party for me, I found out about it and I used that to propose uh, because I knew that that she would have, all the attention was going to be on me. So she would have no idea whatsoever would come out of left field. And I talked about how great that was. So I paint this, I I, I paint a picture of, of the beginning and how good it was. And then talk about, I do talk, I did decide to put a chapter in called Water, Water Everywhere because I needed to lay that foundation as to what was happening in this house, how it became vacant. Uh, and then I jump into the journal. So I actually took that journal that I wrote and I make it a whole section of the book, the actual journal that I wrote. So you see uh, what happened day after day and how I felt and the lies and how I figured out about the lies and and the sometimes this smattering of good days that were there where things seemed to be good. and seemed to be getting better. And then they went back down and eventually talked about how she left. And then and then after that, I, I go into some chapters about the mistakes I made um, uh, as, a, as a very, very hurt single man uh, trying to raise three kids. Uh, and then I get into uh, how I met my, my current wife and, and how things are now.
0: Did she continue her relationship with your children?
4: She did. Um, although I'd say right now the, the, the relationship with them is very is very, very strained. Uh, all three of them are adults now. Like I said, the youngest is 13, is nineteen. My oldest is is twenty-three, he's married, and they just had their their first child. He's two and a half months old. Uh, and then my, my middle child is twenty. So um, but but um for a while when they were young. You know they didn't understand what was going on. As they've gotten older, they they have understood what what happened and why. And they've also seen some some rough bad things their mom their mom has done to them, um, using their names, of, to get uh, electricity turned on in their in her house. And she's just continually made bad decisions. Uh, so 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 now as adults, their relationships are are very strained.
0: You wrote this book because you felt literally God compelled you to write the story. What is the message?
4: There, there are lots of people that have gone through this, right? A lot of people that have gone through, through marriages that have dissolved as a result of infidelity. I want them to see two things. One, don't make the same mistakes I made post-divorce because all it did was lead to more pain. But also there's hope. There is hope post this type of of divorce, that if you, you do things right and trust in trust in what God has for you, there is hope.
0: What a story. And you're able to share it. That's what's even you have a it's like a natural flow from, you know, taking notes to writing the book. Yeah, And you are in a position where you can actually share your story.
4: I've, I'm actually writing articles now for a magazine um, that's based in Tennessee. It's called Good News. Uh, so it's a Christian magazine. And so I, I'm I um, writing articles for them once a month. And so I enjoy I enjoyed doing it. I, I really like to write and I like to public that's speak. That's great. So it's, All
0: yeah. right. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Brian Edward Johnson. <laughs>
4: Well, thank you for for having me. I appreciate it a ton.
0: Felix Okorati is a pastor and missionary based in a Chicago suburb who shares some of the amazing things that have happened in his life that he says are driven by God. Written with Dr. Helen Labe. the book is entitled Walking Out, Walking in the Spirit.
5: Uh, when I start seeing what God was doing, because I'm a missionary, I travel all over the place. And uh, all of a sudden, I begin to connect the dots. And if you read that one I wrote about my mom and the and the lamp on that book, then that's exactly what it what it is. Because my mom uh inspired me as a child every morning and I, as a boy, uh, I will use the lamp and take her to the prayer meeting by 4 a.m. in the morning. And I know there was no no young man who wants to be woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning. So so as I see my life coming out this way and me doing missions, doing crusades all over the place, having uh, medical um, in different places of Africa and uh, Europe and all that kind of stuff. So I begin to say, well, let me just go back to the history of where this thing started. It has to be my mom that was going to prayer, morning, prayer meeting every morning with me that inspired that and God used that to. Developed me to the place I am. I'm not there yet, but I'm glad I'm not where I used to be.
0: Do we ever get there? You know,
5: I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's like a
0: yeah, it's like a journey for for your lifetime, yeah. right?
5: Yeah, it's a, it's a very big journey. It is a very big journey. I mean, every day you live the same life. I mean, it's it's amazing how much people that that book has touched. It's it's amazing. I get I get phone calls from everywhere. You know. Uh, people buying five, twelve, and ten, and twenty, just giving their loved ones. I just had a, a, another just yesterday. Somebody told me I'm going to be ordering some more because I need to bless more people. They can read your story or something. I hope it does touch them. What is basically in the book is the things that I I went through as a as a, a minister a lot around the world. Even when the uh, dead was raised from the from uh, dying in my meeting, God raised him up from the dead. So those are just the stories of what God has done. And uh, I remember one time in Guatemala, we had a very big move. I, I was invited there to preach to 50 people. I ended up preaching to 5,000 people. So those kind of things. And, uh, and uh, well, I remember when I went to, um, uh, what do you call it, um, um, Philippines, Amazing thing happening there and all of a sudden my radio message is getting to Philippines while I'm here. People are calling me and telling me the the message they're getting it and it's making an impact in their life. I never thought that during the pandemic, something happened. This is part of the program. This is part of what God is doing. I was just praying and asking God for direction. He told me to go to the radio station, actually ask them for 15 minutes. Did you know I got to the radio station? They gave me 15 minutes and the 15 minutes begin to expand. As I speak to you right now, we have 5 million people watching or listening to my radio broadcast in the Philippines.
0: Where was this station?
5: It's it's right there, uh, uh, the radio station that I connected to what I'm doing. I saw the man in Dallas. And he told, we're talking, and the man say has a shortwave radio. But I, I'm I'm in a regular radio right here where I am. Regular radio here, and, and the thing broadcasts every every uh, twelve between twelve thirty and one, on Sundays. And that one has just taken off amazingly. So you know, so all kind of things happening here and there. So we really thank God.
0: Tell me some of the things in your book that really blew you away. Okay. <laughs>
5: Uh, one time I was traveling to go to South Africa, just right after we have changed plane in some African country, I was going to use restroom. And when I got to the tail of the plane, this lady came to me and said, uh, could you pray for me? And I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a pastor emblem. I wasn't with the pastor on my face. I said, why do you want me to pray for you? He said the the Lord told me for you to pray for me. I'm looking for, I'm looking for a child. I look at the lady. I mean, in the middle of the night, in the airplane going. I mean, come on. So I went and called Dr. Helen because I was going with her. With that, she was going with me with that with that trip. And as soon as I called her, we prayed. About to pray for the for the lady, other women came in. All the air hostess just gathered, and I begin to pray. They gave their life to Christ. All of a sudden. Another lady said, Me too. I need a I need a baby too. Can you pray for me? So we pray for all of them. Don't you know that God is so kind? On the second trip, another trip I was going to South Africa, I ran into that same woman that I prayed for. The one that asked me to pray that day did not get pregnant. But the other lady that joined got pregnant and had her baby.
0: That's amazing.
5: That's amazing. I mean, that was that blew me up. That's if you look at the book, you're gonna see it right there. It's, it's 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 one of the chapters in the book.
0: Sounds like a book of miracles.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you wanna you wanna be very. You can say that, but you know, I'm glad you're the one that said it, not me. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: I'm getting the gist of it. Uh, talk to me about Helen. She wrote this book with you.
5: Yeah, I wrote a chapter. She wrote a chapter, and all of a sudden, we begin to grow. She's a medical doctor. She's a missionary. We just connected on the local because I used to run a kind of a prayer meeting, a prayer. You know, I do a lot of prayer. I'm always seen in a prayer place. She traveled with me, trusted me to travel with me to Africa, uh, twice to Nigeria. And then she goes, she, she goes a lot. She's almost covered almost about 50 something nations. She got medical missions a lot.
0: So, is word of your book spreading by word of mouth?
5: Yeah, word of mouth is taking it and people just reading and referring them. Most of the people that I refer them, I don't even know. Like, I mean, somebody just came back from Iraq and he said, Guess what? I said, What? Well, I gave your book in Iraq to a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of. Thing. Go ahead.
0: It must make you feel like you have purpose.
5: God does. I'm just living it out. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just looking at that I have been in so many uh difficult places just to spread the gospel and thank God that uh, God trusted me to make me part of that
0: and you're encouraging others
5: to motivate others to be able to take a, take a chance and and trust God and God what God is calling them to do that's the main thing because I didn't know that this book will touch this many lives I didn't know people will come up I mean I, I went to a bank uh, a week ago. And I walked into that uh, Walmart, actually, but there's a bank in Walmart. So I walked in there. I didn't know the girl there. I didn't remember knowing her. All of a sudden, I say, oh, my God. Oh, my God, guys, this is, uh, this is uh, Pastor Felix. This is Apostle Felix. This is the real deal. Come, if you have a prayer, come, let him pray for you. In a bank, <laughs> in America.
0: Yeah, what are the chances of that?
5: You, you see what I'm saying? So I said, uh, I said, who are you? She tried to explain. She said, oh, remember one time you had a crusade and I was part of the people that walk in the crusade. That's, uh, uh, I know you, I know you. Could you pray for me? I'm looking for a baby. Can you imagine that? In a Walmart, in a Walmart. Uh, those are the things that really shocked me. You know? It's not the big deal, is it? Little things like this that touch people's life. I end up praying for this woman. This woman now told me, that it was a privilege for her to run into me. Now many people have said they met me. I don't. I don't even know that. I don't. I don't. You know. I don't carry myself like that. You know what I'm saying?
0: This woman also wanted to have a baby. Uh-huh.
5: So I prayed for her. She said that we've been trying for 15 years. Oh. So I prayed for her, and and the truth is, I didn't know how she knew that because a lot of people we had a problem having a baby myself and my wife. So we finally have one from there, three and three of them. Wow, I'm all in college one just finished and she's working in Houston right now. But let me let me just run down to the chapters of the book. Uh connecting faith is one other that topic that I hear people tell me that blesses them so much. Connecting faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like uh like now I'm talking to you and all of a sudden I'm connecting with where you are. Right. And all of a sudden what you carry and what you uh believe in begin to affect me. Why? It's a connecting fit. We're connected. I don't know you ever, I don't know you before, but the way you call, as you called me now, all of a sudden I, as I can sense something in you that lets me know this, this woman is cool. You know, right? it's all right. She can relate to me. <laughs> she hasn't seen me before. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. There's yeah. a connection, a connecting fit that makes you to feel comfortable. Like you now, I mean, anybody that walked in here and hear you, me, and you talking, you think we we'll talk before? We haven't, right? But right. you have that that personality or that uh, that uh, thing in you that opens up people's heart to talk to you.
0: Well, that's nice. Thanks, Felix. Yeah. Well, listen. You have a great day and keep up the good work.
5: Amen. Thank you so much, man.
0: And finally, Dr. Mike Salishorian shares his spiritual journey in his book, Unbeliever No More. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you for calling. You got it. You got it. Where am I calling?
2: Denver, Colorado. I'm Associate Pastor Emeritus for Northside Baptist Church. So that's what you got your PhD in. I got my PhD double master and PhD in Christian education and the Bible.
0: Okay, and the name of your book is Unbeliever No More. Yes. What inspired your book?
2: Just to make distinction between Christianity and man-made religion, because Christianity is relationship with living God, and man-made religion is just a source of doctrine, dogma, and duties. Man working his way up toward God to make reconciliation with God, which is impossible. But instead, Christianity, God became incarnate and came to man. And uh, the Bible is very clear about this. Uh, Now, if you go dig uh, Buddha's grave, you find his bone. Baha's grave, you could find his bone. Muhammad's grave the same but not Christ Christ rose from the dead and uh, there are 21 references in the New Testament that attest to that fact and Christ himself in Matthew chapter in book of Matthew three resources he pointed out to his disciples that uh, they will crucify me and I will rise again and he did now, uh, man-made religion cannot claim that.
0: What, what do you What do you consider a man-made religion?
2: Man-made religion, any religion that is not being authenticated or uh, attest to the living God. Name one. Well, Buddha, or even 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 Muslim that claim they are monotheistic. Uh, Muslim came to existence 650 years after uh, Christianity. So when the prophet Muhammad was, uh, he was a merchant, uh, actually working for a rich woman, and uh, he was traveling to Egypt uh, with a uh, Jewish merchant. He was curious about the religion, and those Jews, some of them were Christian. And they would tell him exactly about what the Bible says and what the reality of religion is. And he had the photographic memory. And he just uh, pretty much, if you read the Bible, which I have read, um, I used to be Muslim. That's why I've written this book to make sure, make a distinction between man's made religion and the religion that has relationship with the living God. I used to be a Muslim. So uh, half of the Quran is being copied, pluralized from the Bible. Mm-hmm. But Christ proved that he came from God. That was in God's providence, God's plan. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses three to nine, Paul points this out, that Christ rose from the dead and he was among men once again, 40 days and 40 nights. And in verse six of First Corinthians fifteen, Paul mentions that he was seen by five hundred of his disciples at one time, and of course by his apostles also.
0: All right, but, but let me let me just stop you. Anybody who's a Christian knows these stories, right?
2: Not 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 necessarily, not necessarily. Unfortunately, what I've written is come from the living word of God, which is authentic infallible, inerrant, immutable, and changing, and changing word the God. And based on Second uh, Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, where he says that knowing this first, for the writing of this book did not come by the will of man, but the holy man of God they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. What this verse is saying is saying that man man only held the pen God has written the bible God beat so so you wouldn't say the
0: bible was symbolism
2: No 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 I just I just proved to you that uh, it was not it was written by man man only held the pen God wrote the bible God wrote the bible
0: Your audience is non believers right Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because non-believers are feel pretty strongly about what they do believe in. And I'm just curious as to how you get them on board with this.
2: Well, that's what I'm trying to do. Believe it or not, yeah. there are 10,000 religious beliefs in the world right now. Yeah. And no doubt those who are listening right now would be among merit of these beliefs. So if they cannot offer a reliable proof to substantiate their beliefs, they need to read that book. All right. And not only that, let me say this. There are 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. And of those, 2,000 has been fulfilled. Now, uh, 333 prophecies alone has to do with christ's first coming and second coming of which 109 of his first coming has already been fulfilled so what make people think that the other 224 would not be fulfilled now a man by the name of uh, a mathematician matter of fact dr peter stoner he became christian so being mathematician he was curious and he picked only eight of that 109 prophecies. And he wanted to know what the law of probability would be if all eight prophecies would be fulfilled. Man in his own finite man, is hard to wrap our mind around that. He came up with one to one octalion. Now, one million has six zeros after it one billion has nine zeros after it, one trillion has 12 zeros after it, this one, what he came up with is 28 zeros after it. You could read the full uh, what I'm trying to convey in chapter one, page 32, under the heading of how do you know that your faith founded on truth. It's in the book. It, the same thing I'm saying here is all in the book. Not only that, the second point, I don't know if I have time, is, is to give man hope with all these political unrest and economical uncertainty. And we just lingering effects of COVID. Uh, pretty much there is a, a spirit of hopelessness uh, prevailing all over, not only in the United States, this book gives you hope of eternal salvation. The Bible says from book of Hebrews 9 verse 27, it's appointed to man to die once after death judgment. Both believers and unbelievers are going to rise again and answer. Some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt, condemnation. So they need to take care of that before they die. You cannot come back and correct <laughs> what I'm, I'm saying. So that's another thing. They give humanity a hope for when they die. When they die. Not only that, give man hope even now. Now, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says that the hope is the substance of things. I mean, faith is the substance of the things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Now, man. Pretty much because of all this chaos around us has lost faith and hope in mankind, in especially in leadership, in authorities. Yep. So, but believers, because God has given them spiritual insight, faith is a sense of things hopeful and evidence of things not seen. Believers, without seeing it, they believe it because they believe t- t- on the uh, on authentic, inerrant, uh, infallible word of God. So, believers have hope, and today we need that. Man has been born to move forward. Man cannot stand still. And when I say man, I'm talking about humanity man and woman, everybody. Yeah. They have to move forward.
0: We could all use a little faith right now.
2: All right, Mike.
0: Dr. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. You have a very interesting book.
2: Okay, God bless you. Have a good day.
0: We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 o'clock, or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few.